I hit the record button. Um, <laughs> Hebrews 10, I'll be reading verses 1 through 14. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshippers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Verse 8, After saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings, and sacrifices for sin you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in in them which are offered according to the law then he said behold I have come to do your will he takes away the first in order to establish the second by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God waiting for that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Amen. So, there is some more familiar teaching here this morning. Stuff that we have already heard um, during doing this study. Um, but repetition is a good teacher. And it was important to the original audience who were thinking about going back into Judaism. Um, there was Christian Jews who were lapsing in their faith and going back to the Old Covenant. Um, so I'll just start right off with a question and get us engaged here. So how is it important to us, the book of Hebrews? Anybody here thinking of going into Judaism? I don't think so. <laughs> so how is it important to us? <laughs> how does that apply? What do you think? Go ahead, Mark. I just think it, uh, Judaism was their uh, go-to Mm-hmm. Because they've been brought up and they had been steeped in it for centuries. Uh, we have different go-tos, but it's the same thing. Right. We go back to we go back to you know some of the things that we thought were working or um, <coughs> our former ways. Right. Back into the world. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, it applies to us. And now I was talking to Seth maybe a month or so ago, and I said, one commentator said, imagine if we didn't have an Old Testament, then all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene. How would we figure it out? How would, it wouldn't make sense. So much wouldn't make sense. So um, it, it's the background. It was God revealing himself to the world, and now we can see that this side of the, the cross so much better. You know, so it's good. It's good for us to um, get into this because we all have potential of lapsing in our faith. You know, we all may have a lapse in our faith at one point in time. Um, that'll always be there until we get home. Um, so it's good. It's good to to um, be encouraged and understand um, our faith better, so we stay stronger. So Hebrews helps make sense to the Old Testament. I just said that. When we continue to see Jesus in the Old and understanding why God did what He did and how the Old Covenant was pointing to Christ and to the cross. This is a record of Jesus' death from a theological standpoint rather than from a historical standpoint. Under the Old Covenant, the priests were working continuously from sunrise to sunset, slaughtering and sacrificing animals. It is estimated that at Passover, as many as 3,000 300,000 lambs would be slain within a week. That's unbelievable when you think about it. Just 
mind-boggling. The slaughter would be so massive that blood would run out of the temple ground through specially designed prepared channels into the brook Kindred, which seemed to be running with blood. But no matter how many sacrifices were made or how often, they were ineffective. God had set up a system for handling sin, but it was flawed and it could only do so much. But it was all pointing to Christ. It was setting the stage for the incarnation. For one Savior, one life, one body, one death, one atonement, finished deal. So, in what ways were these sacrifices in the Old Covenant ineffective? How were they ineffective? They were just a covering. They didn't take away the sin. Amen. We heard that from Seth last week. It was a covering. It wouldn't take away sin. What else? What else was ineffective in the way that God had it set up in the Old um, go ahead, Tony. Not only did the sacrifices themselves not be effective, but um, the person offering the sacrifice needed to um, have a sacrifice for his own sin, Amen. which he would do first. Amen. So that needed to be repeated, and that never that that was in the same category. Like it never it never worked, right? Because he was never perfect. Right. Too much human involved in it. How is it like that priest to be a I mean, how is it like that job to be a high priest? You know, and go in there once a year. Pretty scary. You know? Alright, so it couldn't remove sin. It couldn't bring access to God, and that's basically what we're talking about there. Um and it was only external. It wasn't dealing with the heart. It wasn't it wasn't coming within. And we'll see that as we go through these um, verses today. But anyway, I always like to mention some previous exciting points that we've already heard that tie into our study today. And the book of Hebrews continues to display the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as revealer and as mediator of God's grace. Jesus is God's full and final revelation. Hebrews could be called the book of better sins since the two Greek works words for better and superior occur 15 times in the letter. Pretty cool. Good morning. I love your sunglasses. <laughs> okay, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifice which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. The author is contrasting the shadow with the substance. Mm -hmm. To leave Christ in favor of Judaism would be to forsake the substance for the shadow. Um, one commentator was uh, explaining it this way. He remembered as a child, as a little boy, he lost his mother in the grocery store. And um, I don't know if that's ever happened to any of you, but it's different nowadays. Years ago, when things weren't so bad, you could, you know, your mother would let you go. You could go look in the other aisle. Now, that's not good wisdom. <laughs> but anyway, um, he said he was running around looking for her, scared, thinking he would never find her again. Then all of a sudden, he's seen a shadow that resembled her. And he said, "What?" but it gave him hope, but it was much better seeing his mother. <laughs> you know? Amen, right? The substance is always better than the shadow. Um, so the sacrificial system practiced by the Jews could not deal effectually with sin mm -hmm. since it was no more than a shadow. The shadows could only reflect the very form of the good things to come. Mm. Um, think of it this way. An artist starting off with some stick figures or some circles. Has anyone here ever taken a class on art, on drawing or painting? Did you ever see that on TV? They start off with mm -hmm. like a stick figure or with circles and then they start filling it in with colors and everything. And if you draw like me when you're done, it looks like a stick figure or circles. <laughs> but the, the point is, is that those, those um, preliminary sketches is, were the shadows and, and the substance is Christ. Um, the old sacrifices and practices are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's Colossians 2.17. The law really is putting the cart before the horse. Um, so year after year, the Levitical sacrifices continued, but they couldn't bring the worshippers into a permanent state of perfection. The term year after year is, in verse 1 is a reference to the Day of Atonement ceremonies. And also verse 1 says they can never point to the system's 
weakness and uselessness, according to Hebrews 7.18. They could not make perfect CrossFit, brother. Preached on a few weeks ago. They could not make them fit for heaven. They could not make them fit for being in the presence of our holy and pure God. They could never save. They could never bring access to God. To make perfect is to bring to completion, to bring to the intended end. The end to which the old covenant pointed was access to God, full salvation. The insufficiency of the sacrifices, they were only a shadow, no substance, no reality. The verse says they can never make perfect. They could never get man into a condition where he could come into the presence of a pure and holy God. Just one sin in your life, if that was possible to have just one, but if there was, just one sin is enough for damnation for your soul for all eternity before holy and pure God. You have to be perfect to come into the presence of God. The law and the sacrifices could not make anyone perfect. They could never save or bring access to God. So this verse is telling us that it's possible to draw near and not be saved in the Old Covenant. Because that's what it says. It says they could not make perfect those who draw near. The Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able to save forever or completely or for the uttermost. Thank God for translations, huh? All different translations that help us understand this stuff. For those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The Old Covenant couldn't make perfect. Um, So it was dangerous. As Pat was teaching on a few weeks ago, it was dangerous to come too close to God in the Old Covenant. I'm thinking of, uh, uh, what was the guy's name? Uzzah? Is it Uzzah? Yeah. There was a man named Uzzah. There was a man named Uzzah. Don't you th- does everyone feel bad for Uzzah? No. Yeah. You know, I mean, I feel bad for Uzzah. He really, it seems like his heart was in the right place and he just didn't think, but the ark was going to fall into the dirt and he reached out to stabilize it. And God struck him dead. How dare he think, as he spoke said, how dare he think that his hand was cleaner than that dirt? The dirt is cleaner than us because the dirt is acting just the way God designed it to act, but not us. You know, we're tainted with sin. You know, just amazing. But that's that's the dangerous. That's the danger of not being made perfect and coming into the presence of a holy God. Did you just call us dirt bags? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, go ahead, Mark. It seems like Uzzah paid the price for his sin. But what was his problem? Did he not uh, recognize the majesty? Uh, is that the problem that uh, you know, caused God to kill him right there? Yeah, I think, well, uh, God said that um, only the high priest could be, you know, in that area. Touch it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. Like nobody right. could touch it. Huh? Nobody could touch it. Nobody, nobody could touch it. Right. Well, they had the, the, the only they could carry it like with the poles. So the right. poles. The yeah. poles yeah. had to go yeah. through the rings. Yeah. I think that right. was repeatedly mentioned. It wasn't just once. Right. How about the How about the guys that had it in their house for a while? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> <Whoa. laughs> kids, don't go in that room. <laughs> 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 it's, not, it's not like the stove when you get burned. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, so verse 2. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshippers having once be cleansed would no longer have consciousness of sins. Um, the truth of the very continuity of the sacrifice witness to their ineffectiveness. Had the sacrifices really dealt with sins the worshippers would have been cleansed and that would have been that. The very necessity for repetition shows that the desired cleansing had not been affected. An atonement that needs constant repetition does not really atone. A conscience which has to be cleaned once a year has truly never been cleansed. I spoke about the conscience already up here once before and that's in it keeps coming up in the book of Hebrews. I think it's mentioned like four times. Mm-hmm. But what, bain, what pain is to the body as a warning sign that something is wrong, the conscience is to the mind and the heart and the soul of man. Yep. It's a warning sign that God has implanted in us. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guide your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Um, you want to protect your heart. You want to protect your mind. Listen to your conscience. 
and you'd be doing your favor a soul. I mean, your soul a favor. So when we want, so what do we do when we feel that sin has come into our life? We have, we feel guilt, right? And guilt reacts to moral and spiritual injury much the same as pain acts to our bodies. Mm-hmm. It's God-given, a warning system that something is wrong. Yep. They both serve a good purpose. Think about it. Consciousness of sin is brought about by the constant reminder of man's need in the repeated sacrifices. The exact opposite of the effect of Christ's offering, which leads to the blotting out of sin. Um, so, for the child of God, um, how does our conscience work for us today when it comes to sin? <laughs> How, how can we compare that to those whose consciences were never cleansed before the cross to us now when we sin after the cross? Go ahead, Barry. The Holy Spirit can convict us individually as He indwells us. Amen. Amen. Uh, Tony? I can remember the, the only reason why that I would contemplate not doing something that I desired to do that I knew was wrong is the consequences of doing it. Mm. So it was kind of like the punishment was the reason why I didn't do it. And it's not that way once you're a child, once you're saved, once you... It's obedient to God. It's trying to please or or a living sacrifice, whatever you want to call it. Mm. It's no longer um, a self thing. It's for Him. Mm -hmm. Right. But sometimes the consequences can help us too, though, right? <laughs> little discipline goes a long That's way sometimes. Negative <laughs> right. Go ahead. I still think a lot of Christians deal with the question of, you know, they like repenting of that because they don't want God to be mad at them. Oh, definitely. I just don't think God is ever mad. No. And I think that that's from our upbringing, right? Pleasing well, our parents. Cool. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. If you're not good, someone's going to be mad at you. Yeah, not you know, not no, right. Right. But I still think even Christians can get caught up. Oh, definitely, no doubt. I I struggle with that myself, you know? thinking that sometimes I did something that God's angry at me. All right, but something bad happens, you wonder, you know. I mean, I know that there's, I don't know, unless it's you get, it's hard to know when sort of various chastening is happening. You know what I mean? Hmm. Unless God makes it obviously clear, I don't think we're in much of a position to know. Right. That's why I have chastening passage. I know that comes at some point. Hmm. That'll be an interesting conversation because right. it's easy to see in Scripture when God says He's chastening someone. Right. Yeah. And we can always assume He's chastening somebody else, but the you know, sometimes the conscience being smitten is chastening enough. Right. Right. The, the, the yeah, fact you've offended God in some way in your mind. You know, just the fact that, oh man, right. I can't believe I did that to him. So really, when you think about it, when we walk around that way, like something bad happens to me, I go, oh boy, what did I do to deserve this? Oh. It's our, our conscience <coughs> isn't cleansed. That's right. That's right. Our conscience isn't cleansed. Go ahead, Mike. But I've, I've, more recently, I think, uh, come to the idea that if something's not going, if something's going on that's unpleasant or something that's, uh, Know, seems to be corrective or something that's unfortunate. I'm thinking, what, what's God trying to teach me here? What what, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I get an answer and sometimes I don't. Right. Yeah, a lot of times it's just we're living in a fallen world and yeah, stuff's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to be easy. <laughs> so, you know, so we should just blame the curse, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's living in a world that's cursed, you know? I think there's you know, some wisdom involved there because you know, not to make light of sin, but there comes a point where if you keep the focus on yourself, that's that's a sin too. Hmm. So, in the, in other words, remaining in, in that guilt is not good. You need to ask for forgiveness, repent, look, Amen. look horizontal and I mean uh, vertical instead of horizontal to God, and and kind of. See if you can be forgiven. You know, try to to let go of that sin. If you remain in there, that's just as sinful. Amen. And that and one or the other is going to happen. Either we continue for the Christian, for the child of God. Either we continue in that sin or we repent. It's one or the other. Yep. You know. And there's no better cleansing for the conscience than repenting. Yes. You know. Absolutely. It, it, it works. You know. So um, R.C. Sproul has once said that. Faith and repentance are the two sides to a single coin. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're in faith, you're living in repentance. We all have something to repent of, 
daily, you know, as just part of being human. Okay. Um, so verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. And this is what we're talking about. All our sins for us, past, present, and future, have been dealt with in Jesus. How wonderful that is. Not that it gives us a license to sin, but to know complete forgiveness. In Jeremiah 31, 34, says, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Micah 7, 19, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. How cool is that? Gone. See, Ron used to say, and there's a, no fishing sign there. Don't bring them back up again. Yeah. You know? But that's what we have to do. We have to let go of them. God forgives. God forgets them. We have to forget them and let go of them. Go ahead, brother. This could be a significant path. That maybe it's, new. it's not fair to bring it up, but at some point it would be interesting to discuss the tension that exists between God will remember none of that anymore and standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Because I have not yet resolved those. Right. I have not yet resolved. I have, I have in no way reconciled those two things in Scripture. It's one of those ongoing things that I sort of think about. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So what you're saying is... Um, because if everything is... If, if all right. the sins, everything is forgotten. Right. And the judgment of the seat of Christ surely suggests that there are certain things we're done as Christians that are going to be judged. Right. Well, if the things that we did that are did or didn't do that constitute sin in some way, why are they being brought up again? So that that right. remains a place of ongoing. I have not. Right. Couldn't it be for too. for works though, where the sin this because isn't all the sin covered and yeah, under the it blood? Is. It, it is. really shouldn't be. It is. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. It was already not yet kind of a thing. I don't know. Sins were only brought up to show that they are forgiven forever. In other words, when, when uh-huh. Christ fully applies his, his gift to us, and, and you know, this is just my thought, mm-hmm. is that you can actually witness and see your sin leaving. Hmm. Somehow, in a way. The guilt is completely gone. I don't know, man. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough one. Go ahead, Mike. If that's true, and I believe it is, what happens if Why have the judgment seat of Christ? Is it. That's I, what I. I, I Kind of think that the idea might be that uh, there's an assignment or a okay, what are we going to be doing after that? You know, assignment of responsibilities or rewards. Uh, I don't know. What is some will be in charge of many cities yeah. of you or something like that? Hmm. Where our responsibilities? Yeah, <laughs> it's a conversation all by itself. Go ahead, yeah, guys. Sure. Teach it. We'll have a class on it someday. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. Figure it out first. <laughs> <laughs> I pondered that very question for the longest time, and I just go to verses in the Bible, and one is right here in Hebrews um, nine, and it says, uh, "When Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people, meaning is is all, not mm-hmm. all, right, right, and that He will appear a second time, not to bear sin." Mm-hmm. I don't believe we are going to be judged on on sins that he says he's forgotten and mm-hmm. forgiven, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting. Mm-hmm. I really don't think we're going to be judged on anything that's been forgiven. And as far as books being opened, well, there's volumes and volumes of sin out there, but that doesn't mean it's for people. Sorry, man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to have a whole separate class on it. Right. Yeah, that's, 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 it is a good subject. It's deep thinking, you know. Um, I can see the argument on both ways, you know. But go ahead, Doc. I was just saying, I was just saying myself, I thought, maybe this is too simplistic, but of course, sins are what we've done against God. So they're they're forgiven, cleansed, and forgotten. But the, the judgment of Christ has to do with our works for him. Mm-hmm. So whether they're good, what we've done in the body. Mm. So it's about rewards. So some believers do do things for him that are of great worth and value, and some some of us waste much time. So what we've done, whether good or in the sadly in English says whether we've done good or evil, but the word doesn't mean evil; it means not worth much. Uh-huh. So what we've done, something good or worth little, depends that will that will establish the rewards that we receive. It's nothing to do with our sin. Right. So it has to do with the wood, the wood hay and stubble. And the Amen. I was thinking the same thing. The stuff that's going to get burnt up means nothing. Right. Meaningless. All right. Let's leave it at that for now. <laughs>
All right. Um, so this is where we are. Um, the people in the old covenant were reminded year after year that the fact that something had to be done about sin, they could definitely see the wages of sin were death, right? With all the sacrifices. There's no doubt about that, right? Um, and that had to hurt. Mm. I mean, if you're an animal lover like me and you had to bring the best of the best, yeah. you know, and, you know, these animals can turn into pets. Go ahead, Susan. But that's the whole point. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. I was saying to someone a couple of weeks ago, um, maybe it was Barry, that a couple of years ago I raised some um, pigs with a guy to slaughter four little ones so they don't do good by themselves. And I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to affect me. So I, di- I didn't feed them often. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do my part because I didn't want to get attacked. I, could, yeah. I just couldn't. But I had to be there to slaughter them. Never again. No way. Never again. It messed me up for a long time. <laughs> it really did. Never again. And so, and the guy that I did it with is a brother in the Lord. And I goes, ah, this is tough. He goes, yeah. He goes, it's supposed to hurt. I think God's made it to hurt. I goes, yeah, it hurts, man. You know? Huh? I know. I know. That's the good part, you know? But. Right. You say that, but a lot of the younger generation, that's what they think. It's made in the back room. You know? Go ahead, Tony. The question that you would ask, you know, what does Hebrews do for us? I'm thinking this kind of applies to this very thing, and that Hebrews shows us that the sacrifice of of, a, of an animal, an unsentient being, cannot take away sin. Hmm. And so the repetition, even the repetition, doesn't do anything. It's not like it's additive. It's like taking zero and multiplying it by any number. Right. You still get zero. Right. 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 Shadow upon shadow. Okay. Um, so in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year by year. Year by year. And the sacrifices year after year demonstrated their inaccuracy to affect a permanent removal of sin and its consequences. Sacrifice after sacrifice, year after year, kept the responsibility of the sin on the worshiper. The same word is used here in reminder in the Last Supper. It's a reminder for us of the complete release from sin through the death of the Savior. Think, think of that for a while of a contrast. That how this, the sacrifices year after year reminded the people of the sin. I think of Christian and um, carrying the, the burden on his back. Um, the same reminder that reminded them that their sin was still on them is the same reminder that reminds us that our sin has been removed in Jesus Christ. It's the same word that's used here for reminder. Uh, what a contrast for those under the new covenant to those under the old. In the old covenant, there was no redemption of sin, but a reminder of sin for the worshiper. It remained, it reminded them that they were still in their sins. Isn't that where all of us are at one time before coming to salvation, right? Um, being religious or going to church and not being saved. Um, still in our sins. Still not set free for them. Um, that's us. You know? Um, okay, verse 4. Why? Because. Where is my verse 4? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The ceremonies for the Jewish nations were ineffective because it is impossible for the blood of bull and goats to take away sins. The word used here for impossible is a strong one. It's saying that there's no way forward through the blood of animals, mm-hmm. which was Tony was just talking about. The word take away is used as taken off. It was used of Peter cutting off the ear of the high priest's slave. Mm-hmm. Um, but it signifies a complete removal of sin so that there is no longer a factor in the situation. Um, that is what is needed, a complete removal. And this is what the ceremonies couldn't do. It was ineffective because they were only external. They never got to the heart of the problem. Sin is often shown outwardly, but its causes, its roots, are internal. Um, Hebrews 9, 13-14 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkled those who had been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There's the difference. So the impossibility referred to is in this verse is a moral one. It's impossible for the blood of animal to take away the sins of man. And that's what Tony was talking about just a little while ago. Um, I think the author goal here was to show the old covenant ceremonies were valid because they were ordained by God. But they didn't only what they were intended to do. And their main purpose as a shadow was to point to the coming reality, the coming substance, the Lord Jesus Christ. The author's aim was to show the immeasurability, superiority of Christ. Um, all right, we got some scripture readings here. I like someone go to Amos five twenty-one through twenty-five. Who wants that? Pat's got that. And then uh, Isaiah one ten through twenty. Denise has that. And then who wants to read Psalm fifty-one for me? I'll tell you when to read it. Susan. All right. Um, verse five and six in our study he says therefore when he comes into the world he says sacrifice and offering you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins you have taken no pleasure um, it's the author's habit throughout the book to clinch his argument by appealing to scripture animal sacrifices could not take away the sins of the people but it was the will of God that sin be atoned for praise God uh, Christ's perfect sacrifice of himself fulfills God's will as animal sacrifices could never do. Mm-hmm. He sees it foretold in Psalm 40. It's important for us to see the ceremonies with the sacrifices in the Levitical system that they had an eternal, eternal requirement to be acceptable to God. Um, there was some back then as there is today that were just going through the motions. Their heart was far from God. Okay, brother, read us Amos 5, 21 through 25. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Mm. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Nice. Thank you, brother. Yeah. So you could see um, it, it got to the point where they were just doing it religiously, but not, their heart wasn't in it. Their heart was far from it. The people had taken what was meant to be a symbol of real faith and used it for a substitute of faith. In other words, God had ordained the sacrificial system but as a means for expressing obedience to Him, as a means for having a heart for God, to love Him and obey Him, not just live any way than show up on Sunday or Saturday and pretend to be faithful. Um, Samuel reminded Saul, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord and to heed the fat of rams. That's for Samuel 15.22. Um, so to sacrifice without obedience, to go through the motions without any real faith and commitment to God is pure hypocrisy. That is worse than no sacrifice at all. Okay, who's got Isaiah 1? 10-20? Denise, go ahead. Hear the words of the Lord the rose of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, people of Gomorrah. What to be is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings mm. of the rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense, is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocation, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. 
cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, please the plead the widow's cause. Hmm. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. What was that passage? That was um, Isaiah 1, 10 through 20. So we can see the difference there. You know, with uh, uh, the people, their heart and minds aren't right with God and they're just going through the motions and it's the meaning has come out of it. You know, go ahead. Last week, I wish I brought it with me because I broke out all the verses where God says, mentions violence and he says you have done violence. He's, he's talking a lot to the priests mm-hmm. about you doing violence to my holy things. you doing violence to my temple. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that this pointed to that hmm. right yeah it was uh, like I say a hot far away from God um, but David had it right read Psalm 51 you gotta love Psalm 51 See that there's the difference. I mean, he, David knew it. He felt it in his heart. Mm. You know, he says he, you don't delight in these sacrifices. What he delights is is a broken and contrite heart. You know, it's internal, not external. All right, um, and the verses here that we read um, five through six. That's Psalm forty six through eight. Um, this is a conversation between God the Father and God the Son, not Trinitarian. But what's the two called? Biantarian? Biantarian? Yeah, I don't know. But um, it's pretty cool. I wish Ty was here to enjoy it with us. Um, it's, it's like we get to eavesdrop on a conversation between the Father and the Son just before the Incarnation takes place. This is the only um, place in the New Testament that this psalm is quoted. Jesus' supreme mission on earth was to do the Father's will. We read over and over again in the Gospel where Jesus speaks of having come to do the Father's will and only the Father's will. He has the perfect sacrifice because He was fully God, fully man and was offered in perfect obedience to God. And of course, Jesus' ultimate act of obedience for the will of the Father was the cross. Jesus came and to live and to do the will of the Father and the sacrifice was the offering of one fully committed to do the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. All shadows, one after another, all pointed to the substance that would come in God's perfect timing. All of history before the cross points to the cross and all of history after the cross 
points back to the cross. Mm-hmm. A body you have prepared for me. The literal interpretation is an air thou hast dug for me. It's the work of God in the womb of a woman fashioning a body. It's Psalm 139, 13 through 16 saying, For you have formed my inner parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows them very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were written all the days for me when as yet there was not one. Which ties in nicely in the scroll of the book it is written of me. Mm-hmm. It's obviously a point to some authoritative instruction um, of Jesus being tempted. It's like think of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. He repeatedly said to Satan, it is written. It is written. He kept going back to authority. Um, and that's the, the scroll of the book that I think we're talking about here. It's God's eternal decree for Jesus to come and save a certain people for himself. Okay, we are running out of time. So verse 10, I mean chapter 10, let's read 8 and 9. After saying above, sacrifice and offering and whole burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law then he said behold I have come to do your will he takes away the first in order to establish the second by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all amen Amen is right Um, so the sacrifices were commanded from God's law and therefore they must be offered but they were not God's final word nor God's answer to this problem of sin the author says God has taken away the first to establish the second. You can't be under two covenants at the same time. Um, the old sacrifices that pointed to the ultimate sacrifices had been abolished. God has taken the first covenant and set it aside. The word used here for taking away or setting aside is a very strong one. It is used sometimes in the sense of taking away by killing or murdering. So it's a strong word. There can be no compromise between the two covenants. The new one has to supersede the old. Jesus came to do his will. Jesus always was in the will of the Father. Um, think about that for a while. The, the body and Jesus constantly in his Father's will. I, I, we just had a, a grandson. I look at him and I often think of this is how Jesus came into the world. But as a baby... Jesus was in the Father's will, but not born with the sinful nature, right? Um, just amazing. Or, or think of Jesus as an adolescent, a teenager, in the Father's will. Mind-boggling, you know? Pretty cool. But always, always in the Father's will to be that perfect sacrifice. Um, ten, ten. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is where the rubber hits the road for us. The big difference between the old and the new. The new sacrifice sanctifies the believer. It makes him or her holy. The old system couldn't do this. It wasn't intended to do this. Hagiazo, the Greek, means to set apart, which is used in scripture. It always means set apart by God for God. Um, the way this is stated in the Greek shows in the strongest way the believer's continuing and permanent salvation. It could be read, you have been permanently made holy. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, by this will. What will? What will is he talking about? By this will. Jesus' will. Amen. God's will. The Father's will. It was already set up, already planned in heaven. It was time. Go get my children. You know? Go... Go do what you, 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 you do. You know? How cool is that? <laughs> um, <laughs> the way... Uh, where am I here? Okay, we have been made holy. We are made fit for heaven. We have been covered by the blood of the, the Lamb of God. One offering, one time, to last throughout all eternity for all those who trust in Jesus and His perfect life. That body that God gave the Father... I mean, the, the body that God the Father made for God the Son, filled with God the Holy Spirit, was kept perfect for 33 years, approximately. And then laid on an altar, which was a cross. And that perfect lamb, the perfect body and blood, was slain to make a people perfect who God chose before the foundation of the world. 
that would believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. A done deal, one act, and one moment of time provided permanent sanctification for all who believe and place their trust in Jesus. Mm. Amen. This is our positional standing of holiness that is spoken of in Hebrews 10.10. 10. This, this, is, this is the new birth believer instantly, just like that, made holy, acceptable to God, can come into His presence. Mind-boggling, isn't it? When you Amen. think of it that way. But it's the truth. This, this, is, this is salvation. Amen. This is, um, I said this last time I was up here. The word perfect was, made, was often used in Hebrews as made, made fit for heaven. You have to be made fit for heaven. There's only one way to be made fit for heaven and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ and the body. The only way. Um, the holiness spoken here in 1010 is done. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been applied to your soul, child of the Most High God. You are saved, signed, and sealed for all eternity. You did nothing for this but believe. But in reality, He did that for you too by giving you a heart to believe and a must to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He wrote His law on your heart and caused you to believe. Um, because this was God's will. We really have to get a hand on the grasp on this truth because where we are positionally will help us where we are in our practice. Um, Colossians 2.10a says, In Him you have been made complete. Um, let's go to Ephesians 2 quickly. Back a few books. I'm going to read 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is what we were. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved um, and raised up with Him and raised up with Him and seated, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourself as the gift of God. This is where we are. We're already raised up. Positionally, we are raised up with Christ and seated with Him. That's, that's, a, hard, that's a hard one. <laughs> but it's true. You know? Amazing. But if you remember that, that'll help you with your walk with the Lord, I believe. Um, so regardless of how holy we walk now, and we should be walking holy, our standing of who we are in Him is complete and permanent. We are set apart, saints in God, if we have trusted in the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus once and for all. And I love the fact that the author is focusing on the body and not the blood. We often speak of the blood, we sing of the blood, and we talk of the blood on com of the blood and the body in communion. But the body, um, we we don't mention much for some reason. It's always the blood, the blood, the blood. But the body uh, encompasses everything of Jesus Christ. Um, like I said earlier, as an infant, as an adolescent, um, as a carpenter. Um, as a man doing miracles, healing and raising the dead, walking on water, this body did all that. The body that lived for all those years and never messing up once. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's what is encompassing here when we t speak of the body. Um, the body without a sinful nature, spotless, pure, without blemish. Um, uh, where am I here? You're just going to heaven, bro. I'm going to heaven, brother. Lead on. I'm on my way. Okay, let's go to verses 11 and 12 and I'll wrap it up. Um, Every great priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. And that verse has come up a few times mm -hmm. in this study. For by one offering, 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Um, 
these two verses are full of contrast. Old covenant, many priests who were sinful themselves. New covenant, one priest, holy, pure, um, pure body, pure blood. Old covenant, sacrifice after sacrifice, shadow upon shadow, never able to make perfect those who want to draw near to God. New covenant, one time offering, the only perfect human being. The reality, the substance that all the shadows and types pointed to. Old Covenant, human priests always standing because the work was never done. Work, work, work. New Covenant, great high priest who has entered the tabernacle made without hands, whose one-time sacrifice paid the price for all those before the cross and after the cross who the Father would cause to believe. Seated down with his legs and his whole pierced feet, reclining and resting on his enemies. Um, verse 14 um, the, I think the NASB said for one offering he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified with a side note that says or being sanctified um, the NIV I think gets it the best it says for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy um, so it's, it's once again a already but not yet. We are completely made fit at salvation, at a new birth when we were born again, when we were right with God, but we are continually progressing in sanctification and being made holy. And the amazing thing to me is I almost thought I had that wrong because of so many old theologians don't agree with that. They had all different kinds of points of view, but thank God I got some alive theologians that I trust that I could go back to. Well, the good thing um, is they're dead and they can't argue with us. I couldn't understand that. But um, well, one commentator said it, he said the text should read this way. He has perfected forever them that are being sanctified. Amen. Jesus has perfected those for who are being perfected. He has sanctified those who are being sanctified. Jesus has made perfect those who believe in Him and are being sanctified. It's another already and not yet. We're made fit for heaven and hopefully growing in our sanctification. This is what Paul was talking about in Philippians 3.12, I believe, when he said, not that I have already obtained it or already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of for that which I also was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Um... If you're a child of God, we are made perfect. You are a saint. People in this world that aren't saved would be shocked to hear us refer to ourselves as saints in Christ. Why? Because the babe in Christ is a saint because he doesn't begin with uh, character, but it begins with a relation. Amen? 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 Okay, not like some religions where a sinful man makes the decision to make them a saint once they're dead and gone. So the saint is, first of all, a man or a woman who knows that they belong to God and is full of joy because of that truth. And then as he matures in his or her perfection, they become more holy, more pure, but it all starts with coming into relationship with Jesus. So by one offering, Jesus has perfected all Christians of all generations, even those who don't even know it yet or, or aren't born yet. Uh, think about that for a while, of that one-time offering, that one-time sacrifice. All generations throughout the world. One offering for a group of people. Um, one Savior, one life, one body, one death, one atonement. People made perfect, people sanctified, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Oh, what a Savior, what a blessed people we are. Amen. 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 Kelly, will you close us in prayer, please?